Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my asses. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. This is episode 103. And the guest for this episode is the ambassador of the dubstep sound in North America, dubstep DJ, and DJ that plays dubstep, among other styles, Joe Nice. As suggested by previous Fresh of the Word guest, Sinistar, in episode number 90, and we definitely show Sinistar all the praise and love he deserves at the start of the show. Joe Nice gives us a history lesson in his role in bringing the original UK dubstep sound over to North America. Joe Nice has stories and we get a taste of all of that in this episode and so much more. We definitely need to get Joe Nice back on the show again to tell more stories because believe me, he has so many to tell. So let's get on to the interview with Joe Nice. Yeah, start things off. Uh, you were suggested for this podcast by my uh, by a mutual friend of ours, uh, Sinistar. Yes, yes. Jeremy. <laughs> first of all, um, I'm going to opine about Jeremy. That guy, he he he's one. Of, let me put it to you like this, and this might actually be a little bit sooner than I even realized because you know I've been thinking about some things in terms of life and what I want to do right. musically or what I don't want to do musically, or if I wanted to continue to do music at all. And the, somewhat near future um if and or when i ever have a retirement djing party jeremy's sinistar is on the list and oh. and, I, and i'll tell you um you know how sports leagues have drafts you know you got your first pick in the draft right. franchise player whatever it is all right um i have no problem saying this jeremy is either at or top of the list for the first pick in the mythical Joe Nice <laughs> retirement DJing party. He's at or near the top of the list. I'm going to say it right now. That brother, good Lord. Oh, dude, I, I totally yeah. agree with you. Like, out of everybody that I know here in Detroit, who's come from yep. Detroit, all around, yep. he is, like, my favorite person. Because not only is he a good DJ, a good mu- music artist, good producer, but he's just all around a great person. So yeah. he's, like... Yeah. He's like the all around, like my favorite person from the music scene. Like he's like just that all around good person. Yes. Yes. Or as the kids say, he's legit. He's legit. Yes. Legit. <laughs> so yeah, Jeremy's that dude. We know it. I, and, and the, the beauty of him is 
we know it, but I don't think he knows it. Or if he does, if he does know it, he doesn't let anyone else know that he knows it. Right, right, right. There, there's this, there's this, there's this aura of humility that surrounds him. Yet he could, he he. Not that anyone would ever want to be purposely arrogant, cocky, and conceited, but he he could easily be that guy because. For some, for I guess some sort of weird formulaic reason, his talent sort of dictates that. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I think there's some some of us personally look at people and they say, "Oh, well, this person's an idiot. This person's a jackass. This person's an <laughs> asshole." But at the same time, they're also really talented. So your tolerance meter, there's sort of a there's sort of a there's a strange relationship between talent and your ability to deal with somebody's personality flaws. And it's clearly a positive relationship where both variables are going in the same direction. So if you're incredibly talented, your tolerance meter is going to be relatively high. But if you're just an average dude or lady, you're not, you better, you better be a really good person because we're not going to put up with your craziness. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right, Um, right. You, know, you see this in all walks of life. You see it in sports. Uh, I don't watch the National Football League anymore for a variety of reasons. But, you know, you see these devil wide receivers all the time where it's like, OK, well, yeah, um, this devil wide receiver will get you 15 touchdowns and, and, and you know, get you 1,600, 1,700 yards. But they also want the ball thrown to them 15 times a game. They show up late for practice. They get frustrated when the ball's not thrown in their direction. But the guy's 6'4", 220 pounds, runs a 4'5", 40, can bench press 450 pounds, and he's the best wide receiver in the game. You kind of deal with him throwing water bottles and kicking over tables. You, you know what I'm saying? Right. So there, there's a, it goes both ways. But, yeah, Jeremy's a wonderful guy, and I'm, I'm thoroughly happy, and it's, it's a pleasure to be on, on the line with you today to do this podcast. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah Jeremy is so cool. Like, he, he's low-key, like – his resume is actually killing so many other people's resume, yeah. but he just, like you said, doesn't let everybody know about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, his resume is is a mile and a half long. A mile and a half long. And it's on, and it, 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 it's in small print, too. So <laughs> that's how much he's done. And it was cool. When he, when he told me about you, he was like, you need to talk to Joe Nice. He's the dude that pretty much introduced America to the OG dubstep. And when he said that, sure. like my eyes like lit up. Cause I was like, that's like a favorite era of mine. Like yes. I love that stuff that came out of the UK, like, that original <laughs> yep. dubstep. It was such a, it was such a special time, you know, like talk, talk about, you know, that time period in your life and, you know, how you were able to sort of bring all that over to, to the States. You know, Kelly, it's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting topic because, and I'll be, and let me, let me answer your question by asking you a question. Okay. What do you consider that quote unquote OG dubstep sound? I guess in terms of a chronology years, when do you think that started? It would, it would have to be, and I'll, and I'll say this, it'd have to be like the early 2000s because I remember um, this had to be, ooh, what year would it would have been? It probably would have been, okay, it would have been, it would have been 2005 by then. Ah. I remember um, I was interviewing, uh, you know, you know who Tad Mullenix is, da- Dabri? Yes. Yeah, yes. I, was, I was interviewing him and when I left his place, he gave me a bunch of like CDs and there were all these dubstep mixes from uh-huh. like, previous years and stuff. I can't remember um, who did them or anything, but like I had heard some stuff before that, like stuff that sure. you would, that maybe um, that would, that, that uh, like Benji B would play on deviation. And so yep. it was like the stuff like, you know, digital mystics in mm-hmm. Hatch and, and, you know, Joker and Scream. It was like stuff yep. like that, and I was like, when, during these mixes or anything, I'm like, "Yo, this is so dope. It's different, and it's it, it kind of it touches on things that I like about like beats and stuff, but it's like different." And I 
and it goes in all these different places, but it has this sort of underlying theme, you know. So that was where I was coming from at that time. Of course, of course, of course. Um, you know, I guess to answer your question is, I guess, succinctly as I possibly could, because the mid-2000s, I would say, would be, I guess, the first renaissance of dubstep. But, yeah, the early 2000s is really when it got going. I I was... I had started DJing in the, gosh, and, and I'm going to age myself here. I started <laughs> DJing my junior year of high school, which, and I hope you're seated for this, was 25 years ago. Yeah, 1993, I know. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and then I, I was playing Baltimore Club because I was living in Baltimore at the time. <clears throat> and that, that, was, that was my first love in terms of electronic, in terms, not, I shouldn't say that was my first love, because my first love in terms of electronic dance music was really soulful house, soulful house music. I loved it. I love it, love it, still love it to this day. But what I wanted to play was Baltimore Club, because that really, the Baltimore Club is, you know, if you've heard it, it it's, it's a rather aggressive sound. It's a, it's a, it, there's, a, there's a pugnacious quality to the music. It's rather percussive. Yeah. And you know, me being this 16-year-old kid that thought he knew everything and knew what the world was about, and living in Baltimore at that particular time, the music and my mood were a perfect match. So that's why I chose Baltimore Club. Yet there was still this human, sort of kind-hearted, soulful being that loved their soulful house. So it was kind of just this weird dichotomy of, sounds that I enjoyed listening to when I was a 16-year-old adolescent. But, you know, then I got to college and I stopped DJing for the better part of almost five years. And then a friend of mine introduced me to some UK Garrett CDs, and this is probably back in 2000. Yeah. And then I said, okay, hey, let me start DJing again. So I went ahead, started buying records, started buying all of these early UK G records. And then I said, hey, you know what? Let me start trying to play some shows around Baltimore and if you know anything about Baltimore at the time, other than Baltimore Club, the two dominant genres of music where you would go to what you would hear at parties were drum and bass and breaks. Okay. Drum and bass and breaks. That was it. So there wasn't a whole lot of room for any other genres at clubs other than hearing drum and bass and breaks. And it was the same DJs who would typically be booked for these drum and bass parties or these breaks parties. There wasn't... There was this... There was this glass ceiling and stone wall around these particular communities in Baltimore to try to infiltrate, to get yourself a foot in the door. In I think fact, it's like that I, for everywhere for those genres. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but I'll tell you this. It just seemed like it was like, 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 like the odds were a bit more insurmountable right. there. And, and you're, you're correct, Kelly. I mean, yeah, there is, there's, there is a sort of clickishness regardless of what city you're in and you try you or a crew trying to expose a, a particular population to a no genre of music there is that because it's just like you know what people as much as people want to say yeah I'm diverse I want to listen to this I want to expand my horizons people don't really want to do that at least back then right and I think there might be some of that now oh yeah um, you know, there's a reason why people like quote unquote classics. But what I think most people don't understand is that, you know what, in order to have classics, you have to have new music that eventually becomes old. So that music, that new music that eventually becomes old can become a classic. Right. So if you never let anything new in the door, you eventually have the same old classics that have stayed classic for all of this time. And then you eventually run out of classics and then the genre becomes stale. And then you're like, uh, how come everything sounds the same? Well, everything sounds the same because you were so, so obtuse to the fact that you didn't let anything new in to allow the sound and the genre to grow. It, it, it just People just don't understand this sort of elementary concept of, of building a community. It's just like, hey, you know what? You have to let people in and be part of something. You have to let people be involved in a process that's, that's guess what? That's bigger than you and your ego. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so many people never seem to understand that. And I think a lot of people, I, mean, I shouldn't say a lot of people, because that's a generalization. You never want to generalize. But 
I, I think more people are beginning to understand, hey, you know what, this sort of community that we're building here in terms of bass music, you know, yeah, shit, be inclusive. Be inclusive, let people in. And for, for I guess, people who are trying to, I guess, not even get their foot in the door, but hell, knock on the door right. so we can at least try to get our foot in. That was a bit of a challenge. And then, you know, one thing led to another. I, you know, that and right around that time, oh, the, this, this was an important date, June 8th, 2002. It was the night of the Starscape Festival in Baltimore. And it was the UK invasion tent. And around this time, I was lucky enough to be part of a DJ and crew called the Two Charming Crew. Okay. And the Two Charming Crew, we were all four DJs in Baltimore that were all focused on playing different genres of underground UK-influenced bass music. And I was the guy that chose dubstep because that's what I liked at the time. And I not only like it now, but I love it. So, and it was always interesting because around those times, I remember... I was always the guy that would never really draw a whole lot of people during those times because the other three DJs in the crowd, in the crew were playing more crowd friendly genres of music. And there was something closer to those genres that were related to other familiar genres in Baltimore, most specifically drum and bass and breaks. So when, so when, um, or honestly, soulful house, so when Brother Pinch would play all this four-to-the-floor UK garage, a lot of that sounded like Soulful House that a lot of the Baltimore house DJs would be playing. So there was a natural affinity to go out and hear him play. Or when Light Touch would play all this eight-bar and grime, well, okay, well, that sort of feels a little bit hip-hop-ish. Right. Okay, yeah. well, people in Baltimore like hip-hop, so yeah, okay, we'll vibe with that. Right. Uh, when Ricky Ricardo would go ahead and play all of this real chunky sort of MJ Cole, Todd Edwards sort of UKG, and then he'd mix in a little bit of dubstep here and there and a little bit of breaks every once in a while, people could vibe with that because there was something in it for everybody that liked stuff, EDM from Baltimore. But for me, when I was coming with all of these different, it was just play, straight dubstep. People were like, oh, I can't dance to it. And I heard all the corny insults that people had 15 or 16 years ago. It sounds like whale noises. It sounds like walruses. <laughs> how, come, how come I can't hear this on my laptop? How come I have to have a genre of music that needs big speakers in order for me to hear what the sound is about? And it was just, you'd get all these misguided and just, just all these uneducated and unnuanced people coming up and saying this stuff. And it's just like, well, yo, do you you understand the roots of where this comes from? Do you understand where this genre comes from? If you understood any of that, you would understand, oh, this is why I need a large sound system so so I can truly represent what this sound is about and all the frequencies that are involved. But if you're going to expect to hear, you know, sub bass frequencies on earbuds or your 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 MacBook, sorry. Right, right. That's not, not going to happen. If you're going to expect to hear all of these low frequencies on your Dell desktop computer, because back <laughs> in the day in 2001, everybody had a Dell. Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know, and, and you didn't even bother trying to get some external speakers. You were just like, okay, yo, I'm just going to turn it out and help the the built-in speakers do the job. If you think that's going to get what you want out of dubstep, you're sadly mistaken. So, and a lot of promoters didn't necessarily get that idea, get that concept. Oh, you know what? Dubstep is not laptop music. It's not, it's not, um, you know, it's big speaker business. That's what it is. And you need big speakers in order to get everything that you want out of it. And a lot of promoters didn't get that. So as a result, you know, I would go play my shows and ten. So I've said this in four interviews. I ten people there, ten people. And shit, I can name all ten if you want me to. But I'm not even going to right. put that out there right now, because yeah, because the same ten people that show up, and um, yeah, and I, I just stayed with it. And the, so getting back to the June eight two thousand two was the UK invasion ten. And all of the DJs that were there were all the DJs that were really doing things in UK underground dance music at the time. Boris J, Jada Flex. Jada Flex at the time had his underground knowledge radio show on the BBC. Um, 
Emma Feline. You had Zed Bias back then, who had just released the Mad Slinky album, or was just getting re- to ready to release the Mad Slinky album around right, that right. time. Um, but the guy that was there that, that most influenced me in terms of playing this music and properly representing it was DJ was Hatcher. Okay. Hatcher was there Hatcher. that night. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and let me tell you, he he played for an hour. He was louder than everybody. He had more bass than everybody, and. Everything that he played sounded different than anything anyone else was playing that night. Yo, and... I've seen I've seen him in Detroit like years down the road, and mm-hmm. like yeah, that's him. He he plays what he wants to play. He plays the classics. Yeah. He plays the the dubs. He plays what he wants, and it's totally different than anybody else. Oh, it was completely different. And and the beauty of all of that, okay. Um, and I'm fairly certain that everyone else on the evening was either playing records or a combination of records and CDs. Hatcher was all 10-inch dub plates back then. Oh, okay? man. And I, was, and I was starting to cut dubs back then, too, because I had people sending me music and get ready for this over AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> this is this – is, this is some next. This is some prehistoric level business, right? Because this was you didn't have broadband, you didn't have FiOS back then. So you were sitting up on the dial-up on a twenty-eight K modem, and you're waiting an hour and a half, two hours for a one ninety-two quality MP3 to come over. <laughs> right. So I mean, we would. I mean, yo, you weren't sending three twenty K waves back then. You'd wait at the after entire afternoon for that thing to come over. <laughs> Right. And you better hope you don't get a phone call. Nope. <laughs> right. You better hope you don't get a phone call. Because, <clears throat> like, Oh, shit. We got to start all over. Start all over again. Yeah. Come on, man. Everybody knows that. It's the AOL and Messenger stuff, right? So that's what I was getting. I was getting dubs sent to me back then. So so a lot of the times, I just wait wait overnight. Chance will go overnight. Wake up in the morning. Okay, yeah. It's at 82%. All right. Another 45 minutes for another seven megabytes okay we're moving we're cooking now right that, that, was, that was that was the back then so but yeah but hatcher was different man that brother was on another planet back then and the other crazy part about that we're talking 2002 now all right he was playing all, his set was i'm i'm fairly certain was almost entirely banga and scream tunes right classic Benga and Scream tunes. Tunes that people don't like. Tunes like Bubble, The Mammoth, Devil Dub, Cape Fear, um, Judgment, which eventually came out on um, on Big Apple Records. Um, Skank, Dose, The Bug. Just, just, ah. <laughs> people just don't remember those days. And it was just like, okay, what, what am I, you know, the Indian dub refix that event that, Lo, that Lofa did? Uh, that it was just he had hours of his beats back then, hours of it, and it was just like, okay, what am I really listening to? So then at that point, I, I basically dedicated myself to um, being a dubstep DJ and not, and and I want to be very this might seem like semantics, but I want to make sure that I'm truly expressing myself the right way right i not only wanted to be a dubstep dj i also wanted to be known as a dj that played dubstep which might seem like i'm picking nits but i understand how that wants to come across because if you fast forward to i guess the latter part of the of that decade in 2008 2009 the words dubstep dj became somewhat of a pejorative became somewhat of a derogatory term it became the a four letter or five letter or six letter or seven letter word that you were not allowed to say on television because like, oh you're a dubstep dj okay we can't book you right right but so that's why i was specific in saying what i just said a couple of minutes ago i not only wanted to become a dubstep dj i also wanted to be known as a dj that played dubstep that way if there were any sort of aspersions or any sort of connotations that were negative that you want to attach to me, you couldn't do that because, hey, I'm not just a dubstep DJ. I'm a DJ that plays dubstep. I, I, I understand the culture. I understand the history of where it came from. I know the people who are a part of making the history that is now has a legacy. 
because at the time the genre had just started. So you can't have a legacy without being involved and having events that create a history first. So now that we're 17, 18 years into this journey, we can now say for those that have been involved in it for a length of time or even a shorter period of time, there is a legacy with dubstep now that was not there before because we didn't have a history because we hadn't been around long enough. Right, right. Once you sort of had this inspiration, what did you do next? Because you're, you know, like, like I've already said, you were one of the people that brought all this great music over to the States on a regular basis. What did you start to do? You you know what? So much of everything is, um, so much of everything is where you are and what you're doing when you're doing it and timing. And I guess that's really the best definition of timing is being right place, right opportunity. And I guess hard work and determination and effort. Um, but dubplate.net was, this is before Facebook and all the others. We had dubplate.net. It was a website. It was a forum and people would just go there. And I remember distinctly going up to New York city to see some dubstep. And this guy messaged me privately. This guy's name was Dave. I was like, okay, this guy, Dave messaged me. He said he wanted to meet up because he knew I was playing, doing shows here in Baltimore. And he had, he would play some dubstep every once in a while in New York city. So he was like, all right, let's, I'll come up and meet him. We'll hang out at his place. We'll get some dinner. We'll hang out and go to the show. And we went to the show and it was, you know, it was, it was somewhat of a disappointing show. And then we we're like, Hey, you, and so then we hung out, played some records. I drove back home from Brooklyn, back to Baltimore. And then about and that couple, couple of weeks later, he's like, Hey, look, why don't we do our own show in New York city? And I said, okay, sounds great. What are we, where are we going to do it? He's like, okay, well, yeah, let's do it at this place called Bar Sputnik. And I'm like, okay, in that, you know, he told me where it was. I'm like, all right, I'll drive up. Let's go for it. Sure enough, that was the very first dub war, which happened in June of 2005. Now, I, granted, I had already started playing shows in other cities around the United States. Yeah. But that was, that was really the first break in terms of, me being known on more than just a quote unquote local level, Baltimore, DC, DMV area. Now I'm playing shows in New York City. And I and it was then at that point it was like, okay, he's playing New York. We're doing an event in New, in Brooklyn, New York. And I remember the night vividly because it was me, Dave, and another friend of mine, my friend John Ask, who's a legendary dub and reggae DJ in Baltimore. And if you start talking about dub and reggae in Baltimore, John Ask should be the first name you mentioned. And <laughs> his other DJ partner was a guy named Dan G. They're both, they're the guys I grew up listening to. They were the guys I would always do shows with when it was my turn to have my, my night in the rotation when I was a resident DJ at Sonar in Baltimore. They were the, they, they would always open up. And these were the kind of DJs that would have two or three record bags full of records knowing they're not going to play every tune in their bag that's that was their thing so john would come up john played the show and i remember when we did the first dub war we had 20 people there there were 20 people there i think (laughs) throughout the night and it wasn't a disappointment that we had 20 people it was a surprise that we had 20 or 30 people there (laughs) right you're like yo what we had 30 people show up okay Let's do it again in another couple of months. So we did it again in another couple of months. And we ended up getting 50 or 60 people. And Dave, you know, who works in advertising, Dave knew some people, a couple of different newspapers, a couple of, and he was rather well connected with several, several different promoters in the New York City underground music scene. One thing led to another. We stopped doing the shows at Bar Sputnik. We ended up doing the first big show at Rothko. And then we brought over Code 9. And we packed Rothko. Packed the place. 400 people showing up for that show. At that point, we knew we couldn't turn back. We couldn't go back to Mars Sputnik. We had to continue this ride. We had to continue this momentum. There was no way we could stop and say, eh, you know what? Eh, let's just go back to being this small event. Let's just go back to being this, you know, 
the second room sound. No, we couldn't do that anymore. We couldn't do that anymore. And at, simultaneously, the Grime City people crew in San Francisco had started their event, Grime City, in May of 2005. But their event was in, almost entirely grime. Dub War was strictly focused on dubstep. That so so there we had we had some common we shared some common ground obviously because we both were interested in exposing UK underground dance music to new sit new areas. It's just they did grime, we were focused on dubstep, and it worked beautifully. And then um, the DMZ event started in March two thousand five. So there were a lot of events that took place in, in sequence which provided sort of this inspiration for, I guess, for me to answer your question of what happened next. What happened next was more events started showing up in the United States. Not just grime events, but in terms of dubstep, more events started showing up. And I think having the first true dubstep event occur in New York City is more, more important than I think people truly realize. Because New York City has this sort of mystique about it. There's all sorts of slogans about New York City. The Big Apple, or hey, if you can make it there in New York City, you can make it anywhere. Right, right. Right? So with that sort of mindset and mentality, we said, hey, if we can do something successful here, maybe other cities will take note and see what we did, and they can try to, I guess, maybe not franchise it, because that seems too corporate, but maybe implement some of what we did into their communities and have something similar or, hey, something even better than what we've got. Because, you know, that's ultimately what, what, what we're about anyway. And so other cities started to take note. Uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, obviously San, San Francisco was doing their thing. Um, yeah, other cities started to, Miami with the Get Low events. Good Lord, those were great. Um, Salt Lake City had stuff cooking. So yeah, other cities decided to start taking note. Washington, D.C. jumped on board. Uh, Boston. Boston, my gosh, at the, at the Good Life Bar. I, I, mean, I mean, other cities started taking note. And then other cities in North America started taking note. Toronto started cooking with their events. Vancouver had stuff cooking. Montreal, I can't tell you how many times I played Montreal. <laughs> the, um, the Koi Lounge, the Sat. Oh my gosh! You want to? There was that. There was that basement event in underneath that Chinese restaurant. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it, it, it was just there was something about the sound that. For some reason, when we did it in New York, other people were like, yo, all right, these brothers in New York are doing it. Okay, let's let's get it cooking. Dallas had stuff going. Austin, Texas had things going on. So yeah, we there there was a lot that was going on and we we made a point of making sure that we were consistently putting on events. And the, the events grew the not only the events individually, but the number of cities that wanted to put on events grew. And here we are now, in 2018, I guess, quote-unquote, present-day dubstep. When I'm listening to all these stories, there's something that really kind of sticks out to me, is that while you're being a part of, you know, progressing this underground music, you are not taking ownership or being territorial about any of it, which a lot of other people kind of do. Is that, you know, a fair assessment to say? You know what? Um, yes, it's, it's, it's incredibly fair. Thank you for saying that because, <laughs> um, I've had people tell me, Joe, man, and it's kind of alludes to what I was, what I mentioned about, you know, because maybe 15 or 20 minutes ago about quote unquote, being a diva or being this arrogant person who's, I guess, who's in some strange continuum, whose talent and reputation affords that person a certain level of arrogance and I've never been that type of person nor will I ever want to be that type of person um, I understood that I understood stand and understood that this genre this endeavor this movement it's always going to be bigger than one man or one woman it's always going to be bigger than an individual the movement is always going to be bigger than the person so 
for me to take ownership of this is is at a minimum misguided and at worst disgusting i can't, <laughs> I can't think of any other way to say it so yeah and yeah so I, I could never claim ownership now could i say that now when people say oh hey you're the dubstep ambassador i mean i never i never called myself that Actually, Code Nine was the guy that came up with that name, and I was like, "All right, cool." Hey, if Code Nine says it, dude. Then, look, you you have the right to say it. You see where I'm going with this? Exactly. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? And that's from and that's from you know, I mean, that's from a pioneer. That's from a legend. That's from a guy who who is considerably more educated than me. And and he and I got two masters degrees. He's sitting there with a doctorate and he's written a book. So. <laughs> If he, this brother's gonna say, "Hey, you know what? Um, yeah, you, you know, it's like you're the dubstep ambassador, Joe. Just keep doing what you're doing." Oh, okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> it sounds good to me, brother. Right, right. Okay, so obviously, as the as the 2000s go on, um, and dubstep has more of a foothold in the states, there obviously becomes a difference in what the the classic uk dubstep sound is and then what would happen in america and how that would sound and sure. there would have be some negative connotations that would you know be attached to the word dubstep here in the states you know what how did you sort of weather through all of that and you know what was your thoughts about the changes that happened how did i i guess let me answer that. how did i weather that patience yeah. patience and i weathered that with patience because just like anything else you know there are there are ebbs and flows, there are comes and goes. And what I, I guess what I understood about all of everything that was happening with, I guess the, I wouldn't even say demise, because that's far too negative of a word, but the changing um, flavors of dubstep, so to speak. I understood that what was happening wasn't going to last because it was never, because the truth always comes out in the end. And what other people were doing back then wasn't a true representation of the sound. So, you know, you weather it out, eventually the truth's going to come out. And that's, that's, how, that's how I consistently had that mindset about it. I was like, you know what? Nah, this is, this, let everybody else have their fun, but eventually things are going to come back. You know, there's, there's, if you've ever taken any sort of statistics – there's a phrase called the regression to the mean, where eventually everything eventually moves back to the middle. Um, that's essentially what happened. Everything, you know, think situations got a bit too went far, went way, 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 way to the right. So it was like, okay, hey, you know what? Let's put everything back to the middle, and that's what happened. So eventually, you just had to be patient. That's why I was. Um, there were plenty of times where I wasn't playing shows. There were times where I was playing, you know one show a month, but I knew eventually that what was meant to be was meant to be. And the real, the true dubstep sound was going to shine through. And that's what happened. When do you feel not like, a, uh, not only that's what's happening, but it's happening now. It's still happening. When do you, when do you feel like it started uh, moving back to that middle and which artists do you feel like are anchoring that move back to the middle? Well, you know, I don't even want to. I know I used that phrase regression to the mean, but I want to say that it actually shifted back to the left, far left. Let me let me let me let me use a different phrase because, okay. yeah, I think that's let me that seems a bit more accurate to me. And and honestly, so much of the artists that were involved in the beginning are still the artists that were spearheading the move back to the left. You know, you had your Mystics, you had Lofa, you had Scream, you had Benga, you had Plastician. But then, you know, in those early 2000s, you had DJs, you had producers from other genres, and you had other offshoots of UK uh, of dubstep that were making their moves. You had Shackleton, you had Apple Blim, you had Ramadan Man, you had Addison Groove, which he was really part of introducing the world to part of introducing the world to that Bristol sound. So. You, you, there was so much talent involved, and then you had producers from other countries that were getting involved in the early 2010s. You had Gantz, you had Loss, you had Mikhail, uh, 
you have producers in the United States making some music. So you have producers in Canada that are making music. So uh, New Truth from New Zealand. I mean, their first release was, I think, a Deep Medi release. That was, what, 08, 09? So there were producers making music from around the world in addition to the producers that were in, from South London in a, in a couple of postal codes from South London. So it, the, the, the genre, in terms of moving everything back to the left, where it originally started, the genre had not only South London support and not only UK support, but global support. And when you have global support and like-minded people pushing that movement in the same direction, yeah, you're gonna, that's how you make change. You're gonna influence change in that way. And that's what happened. I noticed a few times when we were talking, um, yep. when you were just sort of um, talking about sort of some generalizations about things that you would say, you know, man and women, you know, yeah. in regards to underground music, you know, what's your perspective about the woman's role into any of these underground music scenes? The woman's role should be just as it should be the same as a man's role. Um, if, if a woman wants to go and produce, do it. She wants to DJ, do it. She wants to have a, buy a venue and manage an event company, do it. She wants to have her own record label, do it. I don't discriminate and I don't think anyone else should be either. I, I mean, because I, I think it seems rather, I guess, disingenuous to say, okay, well, hey, you know what? Well, you're a woman, you can't be a headlining DJ or you're a lady, you can't headline a festival or you're a lady, oh, well, you can't be a booking agent or hey, you're a lady, you can't own a venue in a big city. No, no, I mean, Women should be allowed and are doing everything that men are doing. At least it's what, what I'm seeing. At least that's been my experience. So just a woman's role should be the exactly, exactly the same as a man's role. She's exactly the same as a man's role. Um, I, I'll tell you, and again, um, again, Kelly, I've had some wonderful events this year. I've had some wonderful – I've been, gosh, 12 countries this year. I've probably – flown right around a hundred thousand miles this year but then if you add all the other forms of travel i'm probably about 150 miles of thousand miles of traveling this year <laughs> i'll tell you in terms of in terms of i guess quote unquote a women a woman's role or something along those or in that sort of context one of the one of my favorite nights that i've had this year and again i've had some amazing nights this year um, Shenzhen, China at the Oil Club, Channel Zero, Metalkova in Ljubljana, Slovenia, um, those Sunday night events at the Cross Club. Uh, I, I've had some fun nights, and festivals have been all been crazy too. But the, the night that, I guess, warmed my heart and really illustrated diversity for me was the Future Forest Festival, which took place in Sheffield, New Brunswick. I think I played that at the end of July this past summer. Okay. And the the stage that I was on, I was on the mushroom stage. And other than other than Matt the Alien, I was the only other other male on the stage. I was the only other guy on that stage from about ten PM till five thirty in the morning. <laughs> it was, it, it, I'm, I'm serious when I say this. Um, Kitami, she's a violinist, and her DJ and her, his name is, escapes me right now. My like, gosh, I can't. She destroyed it. I was like, what am I listening to? What's going on here? Then Matt went on. Then um, I think it was who was it? Oh, Anna Morgan went on next. And my gosh, I can't. I, I could be here for the next two hours talking about Anna. She's amazing. Right. Um, Kiva went on after her, and then it was me, and then my dear friend Jade, whose DJ name is Polyester, she's from Toronto, and she manages events in Toronto. Um, she went on last. And it was a wonderful, for me personally, it was a wonderful celebration of not only talent, but women being put in these roles that for some silly reason people think that they're not supposed to be occupying. 
and I and I was just like, wow, this is awesome. This is really, really awesome. And it was wonderful to see that. And not only did Future and other festivals are taking note of this, but I just honestly feel that Future Forest really did a wonderful job of putting women in these places that for some, again, silly and misguided reason, people think that women shouldn't be occupying. And it was wonderful to see that. And other festivals do a wonderful job of this too. I think Base Coast does a wonderful job of this also. So, and again, Base Coast is one of my favorite festivals ever, 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 ever. And perfect example of talking about women. You have two women that manage that entire festival. And if you ask anybody, hey, what's your favorite festival? You don't have to wait too long for the words Base Coast to come out of people's mouths. Right. You know, our special, oh, out to Liz, out to Andrea. Every time. <laughs> and, and out to Helen also. <laughs> nice. Yeah. With, with being a part of, like, these musical movements that, when it comes down to it, were real parts of culture, were real underground dance music. This is something that isn't, you know, corporate, drawn up, and created. You know, what do you feel like is, if, if anybody was listening to this, doesn't matter what sort of art form that, they, uh, that they're doing, what would be some advice to you'd give to anybody in regard when they're dealing with something that is sort of outside the the mainstream that isn't you know anywhere near the corporate gig you know when they're when it's a part part of when it's about the culture what sort of advice would you give to anybody um number one know the history know the history because you can't at least in my opinion i don't think you could understand the a culture, an underground culture, an underground movement, without understanding the history of where that underground movement came from. And you think about any sort of cultural movement or any sort of movement in general, there is a history involved, and there's a reason why these events took place for the movement to begin initially. So understanding the history and the history is 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 highly important. Next understanding the people involved in the history is also important because you, you obviously you know with any sort of endeavor you don't necess- you don't want to duplicate the effort you want to br- contribute to the effort so understanding who did what historically would provide perspective so now you can say okay hmm you can then look at it from two perspectives you can say okay well this person did this, how can I improve on what this person did? Or, oh, this is what's needed, how can I bring this missing ingredient to the culture? So there, there again reverts back to the first point, understanding history. Because if you, you know, you know, you gotta understand the history. You gotta understand your history. And and I think the other part to all of this is commitment. You know, at least for me, my advice has always been commitment. Uh, I, 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 I don't think I've ever done anything halfway, and music certainly applies to my, that, that aspect of my life. So I always try to make sure that I completely am involved and committed to what I'm doing. And because I mean, if if you're not, if you don't have the commitment, then you know you're wasting wasting your time and other people's time who are who are completely committed to what this is about so those are the three pieces i would offer of advice i would offer yeah before we started you know on in this interview you mentioned that uh right now you're kind of working out like what else you want to do in your life maybe after music how important is it to be honest with yourself and have other avenues, other plans and a plan to do something after like being a music artist or a DJ. How important is that? Well, I I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I, I, you know, there's, I have other passions in life that I feel I want to pursue. I just don't know when I want to pursue them or what that looks like, but I think everybody has to be honest with himself or herself with regards to that aspect of their lives. I don't think anybody goes into music thinking they're going to make a career of it. 
if you're lucky enough to do that, more power to you. But I, I, I certainly, when I started DJing again, you know, 17 years ago, I certainly didn't th think this would be my source of income and, um, and one of the major sources of happiness in my life. I never imagined that. I was, my focus was considerably smaller. It was just, hey, you know what? I'd love to play a set at Shorty's in Baltimore, or I'd love to get a set at Sonar in Baltimore. And now, you know, success has been this increasingly addictive drug. That's what it is. I, I mean, I, uh, it's more addictive than information, sex, and food. I mean, <laughs> success is, good Lord. I mean, think about it. I mean, the minute you get success, all you want is more success. <laughs> so the minute you start playing a show somewhere, you're like, man, I want to do this again. But where else can I do it? And then you start looking for other places to do it. And then when you find other places to do it locally, you're like, okay, where else can I do this regionally? Where else can I do this nationally? Where else can I do this internationally? Okay, I've been to this country. How about this country? What's happening there? Fast forward 17 years later, I've, including the U.S., I've now been to 46 countries. Uh, you, you played, played all over the place. And there's still places that I would love to visit and love to play that I have not been to yet. And I'm still trying to make that happen before I feel that I've, I guess, adequately contributed or feel like I've really been a part of something that's bigger than me. Even though I feel that now, uh, there's, I think we all have ideas of what we want to do and how we want to do it and where that, I guess, that mythical satisfaction point is. And I don't necessarily think I've reached that point yet where I feel like I can sit back and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm cool. What has been some sort what, what has been some things that as a person who's been in music for so long, um, you know, skills that you feel like you're able to transfer to other passions that you have in life? People. People. People, people, people. And I think that's, for, for me, that's that's always been the, the root of it. That's always been the heart of all of this. It's people. And when you're a DJ, you have to, part of being a DJ is not only selecting the music, but it's also reading the crowd. And reading the crowd in from a psychological standpoint is understanding other people's desires and emotions. And I'm going to say that again, understanding people's desires and emotions. It's understanding what people want and you're responsible for giving people what they want. And you're also tangentially responsible for giving people what they need, even though they don't know they need it. Okay. Oh. Uh, that skill and that art, that's transferable anywhere. You can go anywhere and do and use that skill because so many people, I shouldn't say so many people because again, I'm generalizing, but their society seems to at times to lose that human aspect of, of dealing with people, of managing people's emotions, of managing yourself. So as a result, you, you may not, you may behave a certain way because you're not listening to what people want from you. You're not reading body language. You're not looking somebody else in the eyes and saying, okay, hmm, I hear what their voice is saying, but what are their eyes speaking to me? What are their, what, what is their body? What, what is their body language? How is their body language communicating to me? So if, I think the one transferable skill is understanding people, how people communicate, and your ability as a DJ and a selector to communicate back to them by giving them what they want, what they need, and what they even stuff that they think they don't need right away, but you know they need it because you know you're the person that can give it to them. Definitely, People. definitely. I always like to uh, end all my interviews with the same question, and I gave it to you ahead whoa, whoa, of time. Whoa, whoa. It's over already? What do you, what do you, 
What? Yeah, we're <laughs> no, at, yeah, we're almost at an hour, man. <laughs> uh, I'm just messing with you, brother. <laughs> but um, yeah, I always like to end my uh, interviews with the same question, and I gave it to you ahead of time to think about it. And that question is, question you gave ahead of the ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. Who is who is somebody that's been a part of your career that I could realistically interview, and they would have some good stories or lessons to talk about? Interesting. Um, wow. There's a couple of people. Um, my brother Dave Q. Uh, he and he will be easily reachable. Dave Dave has been, gosh, one of my best friends. Um, without him, I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now because I, I mean, he and I we've you know been through so much together in terms not only just in terms of the music but life. Good Lord, I mean. Yeah, Dave. Dave Q would be the, uh, the obvious choice. The other, and I'm going to go with somebody who I guess is relatively new to DJing, but not relatively new to the underground bass music culture. And I mentioned her earlier on in this is Anna Morgan. Okay, and, yes. Yeah, me and uh, me and Sinistar have, uh, uh, he brought her up during uh, his uh, episode. So yeah, I'm definitely... Uh, uh, I, yeah, I know all about her, too, yeah. Anna, Anna. The other person that I think would be an excellent interview and would provide a whole lot of value to the podcast, uh, the librarian. I think Andrea would be an excellent interview also. All right. These are all great, great suggestions. Dude, it's been great talking with you. I felt like I got like this crazy history lesson in regards to... <laughs> dubstep and how it worked in with in america yeah. and baltimore and like i'm sitting here just like i forgot that i was interviewing you at times i was just like sitting here listening and i'm like oh i i loved all the stories a lot of great knowledge also so thank you thank you bro. hey brother thank you so much and i appreciate the time tonight um yeah, yeah this is this was fun this was fun I and mean, this isn't the first podcast i've done ever this is probably the third or fourth one i've done this year and this one has been another fun one and it's it's always wonderful to catch up with people and you know right to share what i've got you know what i'm saying because you know one of these days you know don't know when but you know i can't keep all this can't keep all this stuff in my head for myself (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't make sense Right. And before we yeah. get out of here, um, yes, sir. where can, uh, you know, people get in more information about you online or anything that you're working on? Okay. Um, all the social media, it's all at Joe nice DJ. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, Mixcloud at J O E N I C E DJ. I also have a record label gourmet beats. It's spelled phonetically. So G O U R M E T B E A T S and all of the same social media tools apply there. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud. All right, man. It's been great talking with you, man. Thank you. And thank thanks, you brother. again for, uh, for being on the podcast. Oh, awesome. Hey, and thanks everybody. Um, just want to shout out a couple of people. I want to shout out the sub factory. You know who you are. Um, I want to thank my mom. Love you, mom. I want to thank my little baby girl, Parker. Daddy loves you. And I want to thank the lovely Miss Wells. Mwah. That's it. So that was my interview with Joe Nice. Always great to talk with him. He was such a kind and pure soul. I definitely want to have him on the show again because he was telling me more stories after we uh, quit recording. There will be links in the show notes for this episode at freshofthepodcast.com on where you can uh, definitely catch up with Joe Nice online. So let's get on to the Fresh of the Word, Fresh Pick of the Week. This episode's pick is the 14th installment of the System series from Critical Music, this time pairing together the MC Fox and producers Sam Binga and Foreign Concept for the Simmer Down EP. This release includes four speaker-shattering rhythms that will get any system shaking and moving. Easily a favorite of mine this year and a must-listen. You can go to criticalmusic.com to listen to it, buy the vinyl, buy the download. And like always, that direct link will be in the show notes for this episode at freshpodcast.com. So that was another interview, another episode, another tale of great stories and lessons in the books. 
And before we get out of here, I definitely want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh is the Word. Also, I want to remind you how you can support the podcast. You can always go to freshofthepodcast.com and just share any of the links that you see on the website on any of your social media. And also, if you want to subscribe to Fresh is the Word, we're everywhere now. We are definitely everywhere. We are on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, PocketCast, Podbean, and Radio Public. Go to any of those places. There's probably other places I don't even know about that you can go to to listen to Fresh of the Word. Wherever you want to go, go listen to it. Whatever you can find Fresh of the Word, go listen to it. Subscribe. And if you can, leave a, you know, a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It'll definitely help out with the, uh, the, the, success, the success of the show. And I'm, I feel like we're on a good track right now. So definitely help. And if you do see me also post anything on my social media, which I'll, I'll say in a minute where you can follow me, please give it a like or a share or a retweet or whatever. And if you want to follow me online... You can go to Twitter and Instagram and follow me at Kelly Omega Fresh or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KFresh. Also, you can follow Fresh of the Word on social media at Twitter on at FITW Podcast, on Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fresh of the Podcast. So another episode is in the books. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.